The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our celebration of slashers with a discussion about Aaron's favorite franchise, Halloween. I know there are lots of missteps in this franchise, but it's still my favorite. Michael Myers is still my favorite slasher. As I mentioned on our Nightmare on Elm Street episode, I have a lot, a lot of Michael Myers merchandise. You can also go to our Twitter and see pics of it. But I I love this franchise. The first Halloween movie is my absolute all-time favorite horror film. So just a heads up for everybody. This will be, I'll probably like be gushing about this more than maybe my other panelists. I don't know, but we'll see. But before I have my panelists introduce themselves, just a quick note that we are on Patreon. So if you want to become a Patreon supporter, head on over to the link in our show notes or go to one of our social media um, accounts and you can see the links there and link tree. You'll be able to find it there. And I'm hoping by this time, if not by next weekend, our bonus Lucifer episode where we talked about the Lucifer finale will be in there because our Lucifer episode is our second most popular episode right now. So hopefully we'll have that bonus episode up here shortly. Sorry, just my life is insane. So it's taking me a little bit longer to get to editing that one. So apologies, but you will have that in there. So if you want to hear that, you do have to become a Patreon, a patron supporter. There will probably be a little bit of a preview for everybody, but it's going to be very short. So you want to head on over there and hear that. Okay, so I'm going to have my panelists introduce themselves and tell me something that they're into right now. Megan. Hello. Currently, I am interested in the new Elton John album, the lockdown sessions that just recently came out. I thought it was a really fun take on um, some old classic uh, music, like um, the one with Miley Cyrus uh, taking after the Metallica song, and uh, some new classics, which I love the Dua Lipa version of Cold Heart, which is also based on like an old song, but it's something new. So I've been enjoying that quite a bit. Uh, Otherwise, I've just been into a lot of music lately, but Elton John definitely stands out for me. (laughs) 
Awesome. And if you didn't know, uh, Megan and I did an Elton John episode in what seems like 20 years ago, but it was last year, early last year. So if you haven't listened to that, go take a listen to that. I know it's it's pretty popular. So I'm hoping next year we can do a lot more music. And uh, we are doing an 80s music episode later this year. So that should be fun. And I know Sasha is on that 80s music episode. So Sasha, what are you into right now? So I am not into anything. I have been, (laughs) (laughs) here's why I've been playing catch up on all of the Halloween movies for this. So I haven't really watched anything else, but my to be watched list is probably as long as my to be read list at this point. So I'm really, I think the thing I'm most excited about right now is season two of lock and key because that just released. So I really enjoy the lock and key series. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. And Susie. Okay, I want to preface this by saying that I don't know how this came to be in my possession. I just know that it's there and that it appeared one day. But there's, I have this CD full of like Halloween songs that are, that I haven't heard, like, like these songs only exist on this CD and I haven't heard them anywhere else. And I don't know where this CD came from but I have it and I've tried looking up the songs in the like in the past and nothing comes up for them so it's just this thing that the universe has given me and it's fun (laughs) Halloween song aliens it was the aliens from um, American Horror Story (laughs) yeah like a a tentacled limb dropped it off in the night littered away (laughs) it was avoid the tentacles It was Valiant Thor. Oh, I got to say that name again. I love that name so much. (laughs) And that hammer. Oh, my God. And that hammer. Yep. (laughs) Ride that hammer, Susie. (laughs) I mean, all you need to get it is apparently fudge. Exactly. I'll put some sprinkles on it, you know, make it fancy. Some mustard dust. Yeah. Valiant Thor's hammer. At once the best name and the worst name ever. So anyway, uh, and this is Aaron. And uh, if, if you've li- watched our TikTok, go watch us on TikTok. It's also on our Instagram and our Facebook feed. But Susie invented a new drinking game. But we are, <laughs> we, I'm going to preface this by saying don't drink alcohol, please, when you're playing this game. But drink, and I don't know how many times we would have said it because our live stream about our reactions to Red Tide would have already been by this time. But her new drinking game is every time we mention Finn Whitrock, you're supposed to take a drink. But we have decided not alcohol is not a good idea. So it'll be water. And the reason I'm bringing this up is the thing I'm into is trying to find good Tristan and Liz fan vids. And I have a couple of them and they make me cry every time, but I can't find any other ones. So if you know of any audience, and this is Tristan and Liz from American Horror Story Hotel, even if you just have some good Tristan fan vids, send them my way because I I just, I I love those two so much and I'm trying to find better ones. And I know Susie is the only other one on our panel, I think, that that loves them like I do. (laughs) And I ship them so much and trying to find content with them is very hard. So please send that my way. Okay, so let's get into Halloween. So first, I'm going to ask everybody's overall thoughts on Michael Myers. And then once I get all those, we're going to get the hot chocolate rating from Susie. So first, Megan, what are your overall thoughts on Michael Myers? 
I'd want to preface this by saying that when I was a child, uh, <laughs> I watched the Halloween movie uh, pretty regularly. I didn't know what it was really about until I guess one day it clicked when I was two years old and I just started screaming bloody murder and they were just like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, these people actually die. Like it was like a huge thing for me. So I was terrified him from him uh, for a long time after that. And I refused to engage with it. But when I was 15, again, I decided I was going to like get over my fears. And I think the reason I like Michael Myers, because even though like, like I know it's a movie or that there's still some sense of realness to it and it creeps me out like it's something that like it, it shivers you like it, it goes into your bones and you feel it and I don't know I just I always thought it was really clever that they didn't do too much with him because I don't think everyone has to have some crazy backstory necessarily I know the Rob Zombie went that way and even some of the sequels went that way but I like this new approach they're currently taking with Halloween just because Michael Myers as a whole is this essence of evil. And I think they did a great job capturing that uh, in these films right now, like the first one as well as these new ones. And Sasha. I agree with Megan to a point. Like I, I like that, you know, the new version when they fix the timeline. <laughs> I think once we fix the timeline, we were good. Everything before they fixed the timeline was a little weird. Um, the first one is excellent. I think the first one is definitely the best one because it is just this like completely evil being, you know, and you don't know what's going to happen. And he's just evil for evil's sake. Um, so I like that part of him and some of the other ones, not so much. I have lots of issues with him, but I'll save it for later. <laughs> Susie. Oh, boy. Oh boy, I feel like I'm the odd woman out. Because I kind of like Michael. I feel like, again, I do not condone any murder or unaliving of people and their pets. Because Jesus Christ, Michael, what the heck was that with that dog? Um, Lots of dogs, not just that. Oh dog. my God. Well, yeah, but just like the one that sticks in your head. Anyway, I just, I just, I feel like he's so misunderstood. And this is going to play into the hot cocoa rating. But I feel like he just needs a hug. <laughs> like a hug and some space. Susie's going to solve everything with hugs. Yeah. I promise. And hugs space. and hot cocoa. Yeah. Like, just like let him do his thing. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let him do his thing. Yeah. Like Jason. Susie, his thing is unaliving. <laughs> Not like, a good you know, thing. Don't get he in needs his a new hobby. Don't get in his path. Like, oh my God, he'd be great. Teach him crochet. Oh Don't God. stand in front of his window. Wood carving, he would be amazing at it. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> he has a knife, but, you know, he's putting it to more productive use. During Halloween, you could, like, rent him out or whatever to, like, the pumpkin fields and just offer pumpkin carving services. <laughs> I mean, it is interesting, like, what they do with him, but also I think it's, it, it, it kind of falls into one of the reasons why also way I like Jason it's just like they're they're just out there killing you know doing their thing <laughs> just going through killing youths I'm not shedding a tear over it which makes me sound like a really horrible person I swear to god I, I'm not like an avid youth hater it's just sometimes I'm really done with the shenanigans that they get up to okay so I noticed this in the new Halloween movie and in subsequent ones before that it stood out to me as well 
Michael has an ass on him. Like he has a like his father is a hundred percent a baker because he has buns. He's got the buns. That is the true. Like, forget Captain America. This is the true America's ass. <laughs> Pretty good. All American, yeah. <laughs> the true America's ass is Michael Myers. Wow. So as I said, these are my this is my favorite franchise. I don't I don't think Michael Myers is misunderstood, like Susie said. <laughs> um, but I do collect, like I said, Michael Myers merchandise, and um it is he is my favorite of all the slasher villains, but I don't condone anything he's done. I am on the side of having him be killed. So I'm not like on his side at all. But what I like about Michael Myers, with the exception of some of the timelines and some of the things they've done in this series is I love the fact that you never really know why he's doing this. There's no motivation. He's just killing for killing's sake. It's he's almost like a machine. He's very cold blooded. I think he's, I think, uh, I don't think he's as angry as, say, Jason, although we'll get into um, Halloween Kills later because I think that changed a little bit. And I want to say up front that we are going to spoil Halloween Kills, but we aren't going to talk about Halloween Kills until we get to that moment. So once we do, I'll give you a warning again so you can stop if you haven't watched Halloween Kills yet. But he's just a, a murderer for murdering's sake but he also doesn't always kill that's another reason i like him is you can watch him he'll go in and he'll be like two feet away from somebody that, that for some reason doesn't know he's right there and he won't kill them and that to me is very rare you know there's all mo there's all sorts of moments in the first one where all he's doing is stalking he's not killing he's just stalking people and watching them so he's not like jason or some of the others where it's like he's just all about, I mean, he's all about killing, but he doesn't, he's not always going to kill. He is kind of choosy and picks who he's going to kill, which I think is interesting as well. Uh, so I, I just, I love the Halloween movies, love Michael Myers. I still think the first one does have some creepy, creepy moments. I think there are creepy moments throughout. I think the score is the best score in any horror franchise out there, personally. <laughs> Uh, which, of course, was also done by John Carpenter. So I just think these are brilliant, brilliant movies. Uh, Best Final Girl. I do have issues with a certain filmmaker's take on these, and we will get to that soon because <laughs> I do not like those movies. But I want to know, Susie, tell me what kind of hot chocolate, hot cocoa, excuse me, is Michael Myers getting? Okay, so he's not as special to me as Jason is. So he's just getting like the basic like cocoa, an American one. Sorry, American peeps, but like the Mexican hot cocoa is like truly superior. <laughs> With some fun little like pumpkin shaped like marshmallows and whipped cream. I'm gonna put like red glitter on top or like what is the like, edible sprinkles that's red, yeah. you know, just to like really like play into his 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 special interest in that regard. <laughs> And I'm going to add in some little, like, pumpkin, not pumpkin, some little ghost-shaped cookies with, like, fun little icing on top, you know. But, again, bundle him up in a blanket because I feel like he needs it because I don't feel like maybe had it, what is it, the, I don't feel like the, the mental institution that he was in was really big on cuddles. So I feel like he might need some because he went in when he was a six-year-old child. And no matter who you are, 
that can still affect a child's development. So yeah, and then just you know put on like um, what would what kind of horror film would you like? You know what? I fe- I don't know if he'd like it, but I'd make him watch like Hocus Pocus just for like the shiggles. <laughs> that was awesome. Okay, I love that you called it a special interest of his. The fact that he murders people is a special interest. <laughs> and then you're going to make him watch Hocus Pocus. <laughs> just make him feel comfortable. And if he needs anything, he can just like wave his knife and like signal me. And I'll, and same with Jason. They can just signal with the machete or the knife. And I'll just be like, what's up, guys? Don't kill me. I'm keeping you fed and warm. But just what do you need? <laughs> I was going to say, I hope what they need is not to yeah, murder no. you. <laughs> I'll give them a pumpkin if they want to stab something. That's about it. <laughs> Once again, we do not condone murder no. on this <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to probably the, I mean, the biggest final girl in this franchise. There are other people, but it's mainly just Lori. Um, because Lori comes back in all the different timelines. And I, so I want to get your overall thoughts on Lori Strode and her different timelines, Megan. So I won't personally be talking about the Rob Zombie just because I wasn't a big fan. <laughs> so I'm going to pretend that doesn't exist in my universe. And I'm sure someone else in this group will cover it, but just so we're aware. But Lori Strode is my favorite all-time uh, final girl, just because there is something very true about being victimized by something and wanting to fight back and really trying, but like ultimately feeling hopeless. I think uh, the character Lori Strode really encompasses that really well, especially like in the second movie, I was rewatching that and like, you know, she's in the hospital laid up and like pretty much like trying to get over even just what happened before and then to have him return again and just be there again. It was just like, how do you not take that personally? Even if it wasn't personal, how do you not take that personally? Because it's such a traumatic thing. And you know, the moments when she's just like, down on the floor like just crying and upset like you can really feel the trauma and relate to her because you want to understand and you want reason and I think that's what this franchise does well they make you sit in those emotions because you're dealing with something so emotionless and you just you want to understand but there's just no understanding it's just happening and yeah like there's this whole backstory like he's going back to the you know the house but at the same time it's like why does it keep happening to her like there's all these other people in this town and she's like but why me and i think that's why like in the later films we see more of like a vengeance side of her i guess we can call it of just like really just wanting him dead because you know like he's been doing all this crazy stuff like he killed most of her friends he almost killed her almost killed all these children in front of her and you know, you never expect that in that small town that it just it shook them up all, even years down the line. And I think in the first Halloween movie, the new one, they did a good job talking about the PTSD she got from that because I, I if I were in her shoes, I'd probably react the same, to be honest. I'd want to live in the middle of nowhere, like hide away from everything. And then even when he's getting out and everything, I would be there watching to make sure he's gone away. Maybe I wouldn't have been drinking like her just because I'm a little bit more neurotic that way. And I'm like trying not to think the worst and, but I'm always like expecting the worst, but I think she also was like having issues with like, you know, her family in that film and like relating to them because they never experienced what she experienced and they just don't get it. 
So I think they did a great job talking about like what it means to be a victim in these situations, how it doesn't just go away and it's a constant healing process and it's just something you have to deal with. Um, in my job, I deal with a lot of people like this. So I, I think that's why I like these movies. It, it aligns with that realism of like what it means to be a victim. And it doesn't like just push that fact away. Like it's not like, oh, well, then this last girl gets like this huge superpower, like big thing. Like it just shows like this is a normal woman trying to cope with this and this is how she's coping with it. And I think that's why I like Laurie Strode. It's character development over time as well. I know they promoted the whole sister thing. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of that uh, just because I think it gave Michael too much like ammo of like, oh, well, because he had issues in the past and like has this fascination with his sisters, blank, that means he's like a woman hater. And I don't think he discriminates that way, honestly. I think his discriminatory, like how he decides who he's going to kill is very interesting because sometimes he'll be like, yeah, I'll kill this person, I'll kill this dog. But like, he mostly ignores children, which I find mm -hmm. interesting. And he mostly ignores anyone that's just kind of like going to be too loud or just too much for him. Like he he's very <laughs> picky, it seems like. And I'm just... I don't want to know more about it personally. I don't want it to be, oh, I have to go kill my sister. And it's this whole thing because it just feels like a telenovela at that point. If I want a telenovela, I will watch a telenovela. <laughs> Michael Myers telenovela. I'm sorry. I'm just picturing that now. <laughs> yeah. The name of That's it amazing. is Mikael Myers. <laughs> Sasha, your thoughts? Let's break this down. The first two, I like... Lori's character in one and two. Obviously one, we say this with all of them, you can't mess with the classic. You can't mess with the original. Like it's the original for a reason. She is a fighter through and through, you know, that is her role and that's who she is. So the first two, I really enjoyed that. I'm not going to speak to the jacked up timeline that we ended up in for four and five, but then the most recent Halloween before Halloween kills where they retroactively fixed the timeline. Um, I like Grandma Lori. I like her as that badass grandmother because you don't see that in film. Women don't get to be powerful women and be a grandmother. They're supposed to be baking cookies and crocheting blankets and like that stereotype, Mother Goose, right? Like there's this whole thing of, you know, once women hit, what is it, 30, their acting careers turn yeah. mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. they're done and then like jamie lee curtis is i mean she's the original scream queen like she's it so i like the fixed timeline the correct timeline i'm going to call it for me where she's the badass grandma you know and i agree with everything that megan said about the ptsd and all of the trauma and you know they really showed that I know we're going to talk about them, but in H2O, um, where they completely destroyed every timeline, it was like alternate reality. I don't know what happened in H2O, but they really showed like her PTSD and the level of trauma, especially in that opening sequence when her son, we have a son, what happened? Whatever. Opened the medicine cabinet. She's like, I need this because she was having the nightmare. And her medicine cabinet is chock full of prescriptions. Like it is jam packed. So they really like tried to say, 
she's jacked up. Like her trauma is legit. So that one sequence was good, but I like her as the grandmother. So that's, I mean, that's your favorite, Lori. It is my favorite, Lori, because she's so badass. And I like to see strong women over the age of 30 being empowered. And she is, you know, whatever. And we'll get into the mental illness, mental health component of it later. But like, whatever she did with her daughter and granddaughter, like she, she owned who she was. They knew who she was. And she's just a fighter through and through. So I like that she's the final girl into grandmother because that you don't see that. And Susie. Pretty much ditto. Um, on both, <laughs> both points very well put by Megan and Sasha. I, I'm not going to talk about the Rob Zombie one. Because <laughs> to me it doesn't exist. I just refuse to acknowledge that it's there because no, no, Rob. But I, I really like, like, Lori is one of my favorite, like, one of my top favorite final girls. Just like her, just like her story of how she, like, perseveres against this ultimate evil and how just, oh, God, it's just so good. And, and it's so interesting seeing her in like the to the various different timelines and alternate universes that we get and just how how different things are depicted differently like in H2O I've I've I watched interviews before where she said that in that like cont- in that series in that timeline um, when she went in, I think Steve Miner was the director for that. He gave her a lot more agency for what to do with Lori and what where she think Lori would be at that point in her life. And I think she played that like just really well. And as opposed to like, and it's really cool to see the difference between like the new current timeline <laughs> where it's also something very different. And she said that when I came in, they handed me a script and said, this is how you're going to do it. And that's how I did it. And it's just, it's so interesting to see just like the different depictions of Lori and also how she's been dealing with things, how she deals with Michael. I mean, she is like an ultimate final girl. I really love how in the new timeline, she's this like the survivalist grandma. And that's freaking amazing. Cause she want, she wanted to be sure she was ready. She wanted to be sure her kid was ready. And it is really interesting to see like not like a doting grandmother where everything's speech came with the family, but to see that kind of like the struggle that trauma and PTSD can have in family relationships and how that can affect things. And I just, I, I just, I really, really, I just, I really like Jamie Lee's performance in all the Halloween movies and I think it's just absolutely stellar and I think her and Sydney would like definitely just like talk it over talk <laughs> like get yeah. drinks together and just be like oh my god let me tell you about this and then oh let me tell you about my thing and I think it would just be like so interesting mm-hmm. and uh I just I just love Jamie Lee she's she's freaking great it's amazing yeah I, I mean this is definitely my favorite final girl by far um, is Lori. I know, you know, the biggest argument is always, you know, do you prefer Lori or do you prefer Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street? And I always prefer Lori because I love Nancy. It's not that I don't love Nancy. She's probably my second favorite. 
But I just, I, I, I love all the different iterations of Lori, except for Rob Zombie, because I, I don't like the Rob Zombie timeline either. I, I hated that because of the fact that it gave too much of a backstory to Michael. I think those movies would have been okay if it had nothing to do with Halloween. And I know John Carpenter hates them too. So just throw that out there, which I know hurt Rob Zombie tremendously that John Carpenter doesn't like those. But that's why I don't I don't like those movies is because it, I don't think you should give so much backstory to Michael. And granted, some of the other timelines did that, you know, especially Halloween 6 more than anything did with having, uh, you know, having it be, you know, the Druids and all whatever the crap was. But I, I think Lori is such a strong female character. And what I always will appreciate about the Halloween movies is, and, you know, John Carpenter has said he never set out to start a trend that if women have sex, they're getting murdered. He said a lot of the reason that happened in the first one was because they were distracted. So that's why they got murdered. It wasn't because they were having sex. It was because they got distracted. And also big shout out to Deborah Hill, who doesn't get enough credit, I don't think, who was also a co-writer on the original Halloween. So sorry, I know that's a little sidetracked there, but I just want to say that because the reason I bring that up is that every woman, I, I do think women in the first one, not necessarily the second one, but in the first Halloween, and of course in 2018, Halloween, and um, and and in in other ones as well, are given a, a lot of strength and power, and are thought of as being smart. And even though Lori is like the quote unquote good girl, she has a lot of complexities to her, and she's not just like Miss Innocent. She's just really smart and. Uh, really strong and really a badass. And I, I want to defend H2O because I know a lot of people don't like that movie. I love that movie. I freaking love that Halloween movie. Uh, yes, I know she's got a son all of a sudden. And then, of course, because in four, she had a daughter, Jamie. And so all this. So, yes, the timeline is messed up. But I freaking love H2O. I think H2O is a really well-made movie. I think the performances are amazing. I think the the way they handle PTSD and is, is different than, of course, 2018. But I like the way that that is portrayed as well. Um, it makes sense to me that she would have changed her name and moved to a different place. That makes complete sense if you're trying to outrun your brother, because still brother at that time. That makes sense that you would not want people to know where you were or you know your name, that kind of thing. Like it totally even goes into the, you know, almost like a witness protection kind of thing. So I, I like those movies. I know people think of that movie, excuse me, because I know people think of that as like one of the worst. And Laurie in the 2008 versions watching, I, I want to say when I was rewatching not too long ago, the 2018, excuse me, not 2008, 2018 Halloween, watching her, you know, firing a gun and doing uh, and being a prepper and everything and being a badass, I think fit really well. But it was also kind of sad in a way because, you know, She's probably spent a lot of her life just living in terror and looking over her shoulder. And it looks, sounds like she hasn't really had the best life ever. You know, I mean, of course she hasn't because she's been, you know, she was stalked as a teenager and nearly killed and had her friends killed. But I think also because of that PTSD and that trauma being there, I think it kind of hampered her life and it definitely put a damper on her relationship with her daughter and with her granddaughter ultimately as well, even though her granddaughter wants to reach out to her more. And you also get the feeling she might have some alcohol pro issues. She might be an alcoholic as well. 
But the scene when you watch her practicing with the gun, uh, I was watching it with my sister and my sister says, you know, I don't like guns. I'm against guns. But what is it about when you're watching a movie and you see a woman firing a gun like that, like she fires it in there, that makes you just go, fuck yeah. And I think it's because as women, we deal with something all the time where we are in constant fear we are constantly running. We are constantly, I mean, I'm not saying we're always like running might not be the right word, but we're always constantly have to be on guard. We have to look out for each other. We have to worry about things like our drinks. We have to worry about, you know, who might be following us. We have to, you know, share our location. Like I, like my location on my phone is shared with my sister and vice versa, just because in case, you know, it's like that kind of thing. Like if you go on a date you tell people where you're going you share that location that way so because we're always as women we're on guard in different ways that i think you know men might not be able to understand watching a woman do that and watching a woman be strong and powerful and showing that and showing her being that way and showing that she is you know an older woman being that way too is also powerful like you said sasha and showing that she's not just all about her sexuality, that she's also about her strength and her power and her vitality and taking control and having that power is a really amazing thing to see in a great image. So I think that's part of the reason why as women, at least for me, and I know for my sister, and I'm assuming for my other panelists, maybe if, tell me if I'm wrong, seeing that is a very like empowering thing. Like for example, in Wonder Woman, the first one that was uh, not the second one, but the first one that was recently out, the scene where she walks across the battlefield while all the other men stayed behind. I remember almost crying in the theater because there was something so powerful about that image of just watching her walk across the battlefield. So yeah, that was, that was, that was incredible. So I, I love Lori. I think she's incredible. I think she's a great role model and Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing and awesome. And just the best and wonderful. And there's also an argument to be made that her mother was actually, you know, some people have said she's kind of a scream queen from Psycho, even though she's murdered, but still people have said that as well. So, and I, so I think it's kind of cool that she kind of carried on that lineage. And I also appreciate the fact that even though she moved away from being a scream queen later in her career, that she came back to this and that she embraces it and that she's okay with picking up that mantle and that she kind of is like, yeah, I know this is where I got my start and I'm not going to shun it because a lot of people do that with horror. So I always will appreciate that about her. I was going to say, I think part of um, the coolness of her becoming that prepper grandmother kind of role is like, like you said, Aaron, we always have to monitor our drinks and who's walking behind us. And there's a certain level of hypervigilance that women just do naturally. Mm -hmm that like you said, men, men are completely unaware that we do this, you know, and so it's just part of our daily routines. And to so see a plan so amazingly executed from her hypervigilance was like, fuck, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like you go. Yeah, I think that's definitely definitely what it is. Yeah. Okay, so now we're gonna get into there's tons of different timelines. There's a picture I'll probably post it that I, I retweeted it because I got it from somebody else. And then Susie shared it into our, our private DM about this. Um, and just a little heads up, everybody, we, we lost Susie. She lost her internet. So hopefully we'll have her back. If we don't, 
at least we got her hot cocoa rating. <laughs> but I'm sorry we lost you, Susie. But we're going to go to the different timelines here because everything is messed up in this. You've got, you know, it starts out with the first one. Then you've got the sequel. And then they kind of go from there. So you've got, you know, that Laurie is the brother. And then you've got Jamie later in. Well, you've got the third one, which is, has nothing to do with the timeline because they were trying to branch out. And they that's what they wanted to do is make different Halloween movies that were with a different universe, like doing an anthology series. And that failed uh, money-wise, monetarily. And then the fourth and the fifth are following that 19, the second one. Um, but then she's got a daughter and then, and then they get into the Druids in the sixth one. And then H2O kind of goes back to after being the second one. And then you've got, of course, Rob Zombies. And then you've got this new one, the 2018, that's just right off of the first one. So then they're retconning that Lori is Michael's sister. So it's a really messed up timeline. So that's a lot of the reason why some people do not like this franchise as much. They love the first one and and stuff but they don't like the sequels and they think that this franchise has the weakest sequels of all of them because of the fact that the timeline is so messed up so megan with all the timelines what is your favorite timeline is just the best way to put it i only want to acknowledge the new timeline at this point i feel that laurie and michael both make sense in this new timeline it doesn't feel so overdone uh i feel like a lot of those prior like slasher films that we were experiencing during that time they focused in on like giving everything a backstory and explaining everything and almost over explaining and sometimes i don't think it necessarily needs that i think it just kind of needs to exist as it is yes sasha i too am for the new current timeline that fixes the timeline but can i give quick thoughts on the rest of them real quick yeah is that okay all right so season of the witch needed to not be in this universe it needed to be in the puppet master universe huh yeah i'm just gonna throw it out there because there was huh. no there was no reason for it to be in this universe it didn't match the feel of the halloween universe and i hear like oh it's a mask but it was like using the rock from stonehenge and then the weird stuff it felt more puppet master than halloween the entire time i'm watching it i'm going what what is this? Why? What? What the fuck? Why? What? Like my brain the entire time was just not, it was a hot mess. Not having it. Four and five with the seven-year-old daughter and Lori being dead and all of that. Can we talk about Dr. Loomis and what a toxic, horrible human being he was in those? Like, that's true. Yeah, he, that's very true. You take an oath you take an oath to take care of people and make sure they're safe. You don't use them for fucking bait. Repeatedly yeah. use them for bait or pull guns on police officers who are trying to help the small child. Why? Like that whole thing, just, I was not having it. And I like, I don't know. It was just not a good timeline for me. And it really, I mean, let's talk about the seven-year-old girl who's going to be in serious therapy for the rest of her life. You know, it's just, and he was a horrible, Dr. Loomis was not good in that timeline. H H2O, I do agree, Aaron. I liked like the acting. It's got LL Cool J. Like, come on, I'm here for LL. Like it was Josh fun. Hartnett. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and Josh Hartnett and you know, all of that. So it was 
it's just that it mucked with all of the timelines. Like all of a sudden now she's got this son, you know, so it negated four and five completely. And so now she's got this 17 year old son and LL's in it. So it was fun, but it, again, if you took Michael out of it and just made it a different horror movie, like a different bad guy, it would have been just as good. It didn't have to be Michael Myers. It could have like, because she changed her name anyway. So it could have been any horror bad guy. I'm not negating H2O. Like it's not four and five were trash. Um, H2O was actually a good movie, but again, I don't feel like it fits in the Halloween universe. Um, the best part about it was when, because the entire time, all of these movies, I'm like, somebody take his fucking head. Just decapitate him. Decapitate him. He's, he's supposed to be human, and then he becomes superhuman. You can shoot him, burn him, whatever. And nobody ever takes his head, so I was happy to see that. But then, of course, the new timeline negates all of that, so we still have him. <laughs> um, but I do like the reset timeline, and I won't talk about the Rob Zombie versions. I'm a Rob Zombie fan. I like his films. I did not have time to go back and rewatch these. I started and I wasn't feeling well last night. I'm like, I, I can't watch the abuse in the beginning of this movie. Like I'm just not in the headspace for it. So we'll skip over the Rob Zombie. Um, but as a filmmaker, I like his stuff. Um, I like Rob Zombie. He's very dark and very gory and very like gritty. So, but I won't, I like the new timeline. Yeah, The new timeline is probably my favorite. I, I will defend four and five because I actually don't, I think six is the one that is complete and utter garbage. And um, the one that was right after um, H2O. Now I can't remember the name of it where Lori dies in the beginning. Resurrection. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Where they and I didn't a reality watch, show. I didn't watch six or resurrection. So they might be my bottom. Six is atrocious. Six. I mean, the only good thing about six is Paul Rudd, but everything else about six is, is atrocious. I mean, that is just absolutely awful in my opinion, because they give the whole Druid thing and the curse and all these people. I mean, it's just, it's just stupid, but four and five, I, the only reason I defend it is I think it's kind of interesting. And I think Danielle Harris who played Jamie is amazing. She is such a good actress. She is so good. And I agree about Dr. Loomis. He's Dr. Loomis. Honestly. I mean, I love and don't love Dr. Loomis because I think Dr. Loomis is kind of like obsessed with Michael, which is, which is understandable, but I think that obsession sometimes clouds his thinking. And so that's why he puts people in danger. And he, and even in the first one, even though he's trying to save people and he's a lot more competent as far, I mean, not like competent, that's not the right word, although it kind of is, but he's a lot more caring and compassionate in a way. But at the same time, he's still so laser focused on Michael that I think if like, say, for instance, Lori had been standing in front of Michael and the only way he could have shot Michael was to shoot Lori, he would have sh he would have shot Lori. I, I think that's just the way his laser focus was. So I think because of the fact that I, th I think where Dr. Loomis was always coming from is that he couldn't save Michael and he had tried for years to save Michael and to reach Michael and to do his job as his doctor. And I think once he realized he couldn't, his new obsession was I've got to stop Michael somehow. And his new obsession was killing Michael. And so I think his obsessions clouded his vision that he stopped doing what he was trained to do. And he stopped being a doctor and was living more like a vigilante. Like, I think you could also make a lot of comparisons between 
Dr. Loomis and Lori in the 2018 timeline in some respects, because her whole purpose in the 2018 timeline is preparing for this boogeyman, really for the boogeyman, for this person that attacked her in 78. And at this point, because of the way the timeline is, she hasn't had any other encounters with him. So in in her in your mind and the viewer's mind and and her family's mind, this is an obsession and it's her, harmed everybody else and she doesn't care about anybody else. She just cares about being prepared for this. And granted, she's right in the end. But when you look at it that way, and it, some in some ways, she's kind of failed her family. I mean, her daughter was taken away from her because of the way she was raising her and all this stuff. So so I think it, it, there is a comparison there to be made that she's almost kind of like Dr. Loomis in that, you know, she's got that just laser focus on Michael and whether or not he's going to come back. So, yeah. But but yes, the new timeline is definitely my best, my best, my favorite I've already spoken about why I don't like Rob Zombie's things. I'm not a Rob Zombie fan, though, so that could be a lot of what it has to do with. I do think Devil Devil's Rejects is good. Uh, I think Sherry Moon Zombie is good in Lords of Salem, but I'm not. I'm just not a fan of his stuff. It's just it's just too icky to me. But but yeah, I, I, that's my favorite. But once again, I do like the H2O timeline. I just defend it because I know people don't like that, but I loved watching that movie in the theater. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. So, and, but number six will always to my mind be the worst. And for number three, I just want to say this, when I was watching the Halloween movies, this was the first time I'd ever watched it was in preparation for this. And I know a lot of people actually love that movie. That movie has a huge following now. People love it. And I don't think it's a bad movie. I actually, but I avoided it for so long because I knew it had nothing to do with Halloween. And once again, the purpose of that movie was they wanted to do an anthology series and they didn't want them to be connected. They weren't supposed to be connected at all. It was just different stories, but all told on Halloween. So that was what the what was they were going to try and do. So I had avoided it forever, but it does have a big following now and people do love that movie and people would love to see a spinoff of that. Honestly, they'd love to see more anthologies with that. But I thought the, the puppet master thing, that's an interesting where to put it. That's an interesting universe to put it in. But yeah, but I want to say also the song in that and Halloween three is the most evil earworm in the world because I had it stuck in my head for hours and hours and hours last weekend when I watched it. So just want to put that out there that screw whoever came up with that because I was <laughs> That's the real horror of that movie. Yes. It's that stupid. Uh, uh. Okay. So like we asked in Nightmare on Elm Street and like we are going to ask in our Friday the 13th episode, we did ask it since we've already recorded it. I want to know, do you have any favorite kills you want to point out, Megan? And if they're from Halloween kills, don't mention them right no, now. Um, <laughs> no, no. I'm going to save those because those are special. <laughs> But um, I think in the first like original movie, obviously when um, when he comes back as the ghost um, to bring the beer to the girl mm -hmm. because she's like looking and he puts on the glasses over <laughs> the ghost uh, outfit he has going because he doesn't want her to know it's him, but it's him. Um, that is my favorite just because he kind of like puts in a little bit more effort and you see this kind of campiness about it. Like, oh, I want to have fun now. Like I'm going to do something. Um, it doesn't feel so much like a knee jerk of just like kill, stop, kill, stop. Cause it was like yeah. that initially a little bit at the beginning, but you could see he started having fun. And that was one of my favorites. 
But I think another one of my favorites was in the second one, but I wish they would have actually showed how it was done, but in the hospital where they showed all the different people and how they died, I wanted to know how those ones went. And they gave me the one about the couple who were going to have sex in the, I don't know, the, the tub, the special tub. The jacuzzi um, tub and he turned it up the heat mm-hmm. yeah the jacuzzi one yeah and he turned up the heat so like the guy's boiling in there and then like the girl's just kind of minding her business and like oh put it down and like he's killing this other guy basically in front of her but she's just oblivious <laughs> and, I said, and like i just i imagine in my head it's a lot louder than she thinks but like i guess with all the engines going i guess you wouldn't notice but i guess i would have personally thought out of the corner of my eye like something is happening, but she was just so la-di-da, like putting her hair up. And then he goes in there and like, he puts a hand on her shoulder, just the hand. And then he starts going in at her. And I was like, he really thought about this. <laughs> like he he envisioned in his head how this was going to go. And you could just see even in the, some of the other ones, like in uh, H2O, I think even, and just some of the later movies, how he just gets a little bit more inventive and creative. It's not as inventive as Jason, I will say, but I think uh, that also changes. But I'll let Sasha talk more about her favorite kills since she will probably have some really good ones because I know she liked the Jason sleeping bag (laughs) one. (laughs) I think it's very unfair for Michael to kill people who have sex because they're not even having good sex. And I think it's bad to go out on that note. Um, (laughs) Like, none of the sex scenes where they're having sex. Like, come on. In the first one, that is the worst sex that that poor girl could have ever had. That's right? True. It's like, I don't, it was Maybe so bad. Maybe that's why he does it. Because he's like, this is horrible sex. I'm going to spare you. <laughs> I know. But to go out on that note of, well, that was terrible. Like, you don't even, it's just sad. Um, I do love the ghost. That is one of my favorites. Because it's like, what are you doing? There's one... I don't even know which one it was in. He stabs the guy with the pitchfork through the back. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't right? remember which one that's in it either. But yeah. yeah. So they're like having sex in the hay. Again, not good sex. And he stabs him through the back with the pitchfork. A good pitchfork kill, I think, is always like one of my favorite ones. Just because it's so over the top ridiculous. Like, I don't, would it, would it really go all the way through? I don't know. I just, I like a good pitchfork kill. I do agree with Megan. Like, Michael is not nearly as creative as Freddy is or Jason is. He's more like just kind of a slash and go guy. There's a lot of throat slits. Uh, I did like the uh, ice, the hockey skate through the face for, oh my God, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Because he's, you know, he goes into the house and steals the beers or whatever. And then when she goes back into the house, he's got the hockey blade through his face. You don't see the kill, but um, I thought that was a good one. Like any of the ones where they're a little more creative. In H2O, when the guy is in the dumbwaiter yeah, and the girl cool. climbs in with him. And then she's coming out and he cuts it and it like snap. Oh, bleh. I'm not, I don't like when bone sticks out. That freaks me out. So that was a good, that's not how she died, but I thought that was a good injury. Yeah. And I'm just going to say ditto because most ones I was, the ones I was going to say are all kind of have been mentioned. Uh, One thing I will say is that even though Michael is not as creative, he is a little bit of a trickster 
thing. That's a little bit of what he does. Like, and it starts in the first one with wearing the sheet and with the glasses and even the way he sets up, you know, with his sister's um, headstone and having the body right there, even that in a way is also kind of trickster like. So he's, he's, he's like that or turning in 2018 when he literally turns the guy's head like into a pumpkin he has the pumpkin over it and like that kind of stuff like he's just he's creative in a different sort of way so it's more like a trickster sort of way uh and we'll get into halloween kills here very soon because i think a lot of those are very interesting kills a little bit different than i think we've seen him do before but yeah and i love the dumb waiter one definitely was is a big one i think that's probably the biggest one from H2O to call out because everybody I think remembers that scene and remembers that kill. That's a really memorable one as well. So yeah, yeah, he's definitely, he's not as creative, but he is a little bit more of a trickster, which is what I think is kind of interesting about him. Well, and he's more serial killer in his methodology. Jason is just flat out kill, kill, kill. And Michael has a certain kill, kill to him, but you're right. He does have some setup and some thought. Mm Mm-hmm. Like he's not as much machine yeah, as Jason is. And he's not as funny and creative as Freddie is, but he's definitely got like, like you said that I totally forgot about the headstone. Yeah. You know, and there's one, it's either in four or five might be five when she goes up into the attic and everybody's dead. Like he's displayed everybody dead up there and he has a child sized coffin laying over a bathtub with her photo on it like he set a scene yeah. for her to run into so i think he deserves a little more credit than maybe i gave him <laughs> he does do that though he sets things up and he it's it's almost which is why i like that serial killer uh comparison there because he does have some like, like i said in the beginning he doesn't always kill he sometimes just passes right by a person and doesn't kill them and it's not like he's just like, I'm going to kill everybody in my way. He just, he's discriminating in his kills, which is very different than a lot of these other um, slashers. And so I think that's what makes him a little bit unique. And then also the way he displays his kills. And it, it's almost like, it's almost like a peacock, like he's peacocking and he's just showing off for everybody and saying, this is who I am. And, you know, you better watch out or it's, I mean, it's threatening and it's also just kind of like showing, hey, I am to be taken seriously because I think that's the other thing is he's kind of saying this is who I am and I'm to be taken seriously. And I, I do want to say I love I love the first Halloween. And for some reason, this just popped in my head and I it is my favorite horror movie, but it always will kill me that right after young Michael Myers kills his sister and the parents come home and they just stand there. <laughs> in the world i was screaming at my tv when i rewatched it this week <laughs> so annoyed it's so stupid i mean and the mom just, doesn't the mom at one point like put her hands on her hips or cross her arm like she's very just, nonchalant yeah they just stand there and he's just like standing there with, a plate with blood and it's just like oh okay that's why i wonder you know what would have been the next scene when they went in there and found their daughter murdered they'd be like um we need to do something 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Anyway, okay, so now we're going to get into Halloween Kills. So spoilers, we're going to spoil this movie. So if you don't want to be spoiled about anything for this, then just turn this off and come back to it after you've seen Halloween Kills. And then once we talk about this, we are going to talk about um, mental illness and the treatment of that. So it's going to coincide because there is something in this one that goes with that. So, okay, so you've been warned. So now we are going to start spoilers. So turn us off if you don't want to be spoiled. So, Megan, this is a very divisive sequel. I want to start with that. Uh, people either love this or they absolutely hate this sequel. What are your, that's usually the general thoughts on it. What are your overall thoughts on on Halloween Kills? Halloween Kills is kind of one of those movies where happy to see that, like, we got more of, like, the afterfall on what was going on. And what was happening in the rest of the town and how like other people reacting and how this ripple effect was going on. However, um, I do understand why people are frustrated by it. I think people were under the impression that there was going to be more uh, pushback from the people of like actually injuring him or doing something to him. And that didn't happen. Like if anything, it seemed like we got to see more of him in this one be stronger and really like encompass who he is and what he's been stewing on and thinking of over uh, whatever X amount of years it's been. Because you can see with these kills now, like he just, you, you can tell like this is something he's been thinking about. Like how can I make the human anatomy die in this way? Or how if I just break this light off and like shove it through like, there's neck like how is that gonna look and you see there's a lot more intention behind it for him and i think that's why like there's so much chaos and everything happening because nobody really knows what's going on but they want to help but they don't understand him so of course like that's where the idea of like the true essence of evil is how other people react to an evil act i think that best describes it um I think it really focuses in on like the societal impact that mental illness untreated has on a society or even just like this small town and why we need to approach these things better. I think it really encompassed how law enforcement isn't always the most active when it comes to these things. And they're not prepared in these instances where if somebody were to do something like that, they would do what is necessary and making sure like the town is safe rather than just chasing him down like cat and mouse. And I think even more like even how the, the townspeople I'll call them, but really just how that whole little town was reacting and like chasing him on their own, even the granddaughter, how she was like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go get him. And it's like, what are you going to do? Like, I'm sorry, but it's like, she's this, young girl and he's like this older guy and it's clear that he, there is a strength difference there but it's just the anger and the hate and the sadness she feels and what how she's lashing out i think that's very telling of the other side of victim complex kind of issues on like how some people do react when they're in that kind of situation 
Whereas the mom just kind of wanted to forget about it already and like disassociate. And it just felt a lot more complex this time. I'm not going to go into the sensitive scene regarding the mental illness uh, aspect in the film, just because I think Aaron's going to cover that one better, honestly. But these kills in these one, and this one, and even bringing back some of these old characters like Lindsay and Tommy, I'm I'm glad that we got to see those old characters and how they've grown up and everything. But honestly, what what did Tommy really think he was going to do with that bat? I want to know what Tommy really thought he was going to do with this bat and Michael. Like, I'm sorry, but it's like Michael doesn't want to die. Like he, and he's a, even though you can see he's older, he still has the strength to continue on. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sasha. So I've talked about it before and you all know that I'm broken when it comes to horror movies. And so I figured out why I'm broken. So that's the lens that all of Halloween kills is going to come through. Cause for me, I was kind of annoyed by some of it. It was fine. Like I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was mediocre. Again, it's like pizza. It's like, eh, you know, it's decent, whatever. So I didn't, I'm not on one extreme or the other. It was just kind of a meh, but I'm broken because I cannot suspend my disbelief long enough to get invested in the world or the characters. So the entire time I'm watching and I'm like, well, that's not how that would happen. Well, that would never happen like that. And then I'm finding plot holes. We're like, you were stabbed in the other are Okay. Like continuity. No, we're not going to do continuity. Oh, we're going to do that now. Well, that's dumb. Like, why would you do that? So I get tripped up on the plot holes and just the sheer ludicrousness of it so that I'm just meh about the entire Halloween world during Halloween kills. Cause I just couldn't suspend my disbelief long enough to become invested. I do agree with Megan. I was happy to see like the kids come back, you know, cause they survived too. They're survivors. So to see them, come back and kind of the reunion of survivors was very cool to see. I assume Aaron, we're going to talk about the mob mentality later. Yeah. When we talk about the mental illness, one of the most disturbing scenes I've ever seen in a Halloween movie period. So yeah. 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 So I have other thoughts. I'm not really sure where they would go. So I'll just hold on to them for now. (laughs) Okay. I, I, I rewatched Halloween Kills. I've seen I've seen it twice. So I watched it in the theater and watched it last night again. And it's not going to be one of my favorite Halloween movies in the long run. I know that. But I don't think it's as bad as everybody says it is. And I think it's really weird that this movie is as divisive as it is. And the reason I think it's weird is this is the 12th Halloween movie, okay? We're not making... You know, it's like (laughs) people that are fans of this are like, what did you expect? Like, did you expect like some grand like masterpiece? And I think the reason this is what I think went on is that people loved the 2018 version. I know there are some people that don't like that movie, but people generally loved it. It was a generally well-received movie. It was critics liked it. People thought it was a really good reboot. And I think people thought that this one was going to be in the same world as, I mean, it is the same world, but I mean, in the same kind of reign of that one where it would be really focused on Lori. Lori is in this movie. I think someone said it's like 12 minutes total that she's in this one. She's not in it at all, really. 
She's not a main character. There's not really a protagonist in this one, honestly. I mean, you, I mean, yes, there are, there is still Allison and there is Karen. So you have that, but they're still not the main people. And you do have Tommy and you have Lindsay and everything. The main person in this movie, this is the thing. This movie is about, this is Michael's movie. This is from Michael's point of view. This is all about Michael. And that's why this movie is colder. This movie is more violent. This movie is angrier. This movie is not kind at all. Uh, this movie is gorier. This movie is brutal because this is Michael's movie. This is not anyone else's movie. Michael is both the antagonist and the protagonist, honestly, I think in this movie. And I think that is why people have an issue with this movie, because you have it from his standpoint, because what his whole end goal in this whole movie is, is to get home. He wants to get home. That's where everything started for him. And that's where everything he wants everything to end for him at that point. And there's even moments where if you were to look at it from his viewpoint are almost sympathetic to him, like the moment when he starts getting beaten down and by everybody. I'm not saying I'm sympathetic to him at all because I'm not, but I think that that was kind of the way it was portrayed because this is his movie. And I know another reason people have issues with this is because they also showed stuff from 1978. So they went back in time to that time and showed how Michael got caught because we didn't really know that. We didn't really see that in the 2018 version. We just knew he was caught and put back in the hospital, but we did not know that going, we did not know how that happened. We weren't shown it. So they show us that. And I know a lot of people have issues with that as well. A lot of people have issues with the fact that the cop, um, Frank, that he, you know, because in the 1978 one, he shoots his partner and then he ends up stopping Loomis from shooting Michael when Michael's on the ground. And he says he regrets that and he should have shot him and they should have killed him. And a lot of people take issue with that because of the fact that, and, and I totally understand this. I totally do because of the world we live in right now. And because of, and we've always lived in, it's not a new thing. Police violence is, you know, that's, that's a, it's a racist institution in and of itself where it was created from was from that and, and all, and the racism surrounding that and all the murders um, of unarmed black men and women and, and other people as well. So I, I understand that that was also another problem people had with it. And they felt like it was just all these ideas that never really came to fruition but I, overall, I think it is a very interesting movie to watch because it's a very different take on Michael Myers than anything we have seen before. He is so violent in this one. I mean, so brutally violent in a way that you normally would only see in Jason, honestly. The scene when he goes and he murders the married couple and he stabbed the wife already with the light thing. And then he's killing her husband and he's just stabbing him with different knives like just to see what happens. It's not even about killing him at that point, I don't think. I think it's more just, oh, I'm going to play with my food, honestly, is the best way to put it. And watching as his wife has to watch as as he's murdered and stabbed repeatedly after he's pretty much dead anyway, was very brutal, very cruel and brutal. You know, even when he kills uh little or big john when he kills big john when he puts his fingers in his eyes was really brutal as well uh and you did see some of the trickster in there where you know he set little john and big john up to match the picture of them 
that was by the record. He's playing the record in the record player. He's also does cruel things when he kills Cameron. And then when he's walking down the stairs and Allison's like, leave him alone. And he just goes and twists his neck and he, which was not necessary, but it was a very cruel thing to do to me. This Michael Myers is basically so angry and fed up and all he wants to do is be home. And I, and I, I know he wants to kill people, but I think he kind of, if he had just gotten to his home, <laughs> and it sounds weird, but I think if he had just gotten to his home and nobody else had been there and he could have just stayed there, I think he would have been like, I'm just going to stay here. This is where I'm living now. I might occasionally venture out to kill people, but this is my life. And the whole uh, juxtaposition of he keeps going to the window that he used to stare out and you hear in the 1978 that someone that knew him that he would just do that all the time. So, yeah. So I think I think that's why people have an issue with this is because it's not. It wasn't marketed well. I want to say that it was marketed that you were going to have the Strode women be so primarily focused, but it's not. This is Michael's movie. I think Tommy Doyle is honestly, he's like a QAnon person. I want to put that out there. I don't like Tommy Doyle. I hate Tommy Doyle. Cannot stand Tommy Doyle. He's gross. He's icky. I understand he's had trauma. I get it, but I don't like him. I just want to put that out there. I'm not a fan of Tommy at all uh, in this, the, this iteration. Okay. As of course, he was also played by Paul Rudd in that horrible number six movie. Okay, so I want to talk about mental illness in this franchise overall because I love this franchise. I hate the way mental illness is portrayed in this movie. I'm not talking about the PTSD here. I am talking about the institutions. In 2018 version, the scene where all the patients are out there and they're in a little square and they're all, you know, cuffed and then they all start making noises together is very wrong. It's very wrong. And I'm not saying this because, and not just because it's a horrible way to treat people. I'm saying that the way they portray that of that, if you have a mental illness and you're in an institution, you're going to be like these people and you're going to be just wackadoo and you're going to make weird noises is total bullshit. I'm not saying there aren't people like this. I'm just saying the way this movie approaches mental illness and people that are in mental institutions is bad in my opinion. And that's the way that I'm sticking to it. And I will get to the mob scene in Halloween kills when it comes back to my turn, because that honestly is the most disturbing scene I have ever seen in a single Halloween movie ever, ever, ever. I was on the verge of crying. So Megan, what are your thoughts overall on how they handle mental illness in this? I know like in this newer version, they said it was more of like a DOC mental illness hospital, which I think makes it even worse just because the treatment even just in realism, like today is really bad there. Um, it's not that great. Um, there's a lot of mistreatment and stuff like that. And I think a lot of it does come down to the fact that film does stereotype a lot of these people as being incapable or like they are in these weird um, head spaces almost. I, I don't like the whole thing with the squares and like the podcast people going out. And that's the thing is that would never happen in real life. And I understand where Sasha's coming from of like, no, they wouldn't just allow these people to come visit Michael and re-trigger him. Like that's not real. However, I think it does set up the fact that we see later that that doctor clearly was setting this all up to get Michael going. And I think that's where we need to focus on is like a lot of the people in these places, like they don't always have the best intentions. 
And I think that's why we would see later on, like, Dr. Loomis became evil in his own way in the later movies, because, you know, like, it becomes a fascination of trying to fix people. And I think psychology as a whole needs to stop focusing on that and just helping people feel less triggered all the time, less um, overwhelmed sometimes, or even just overall, just creating a safe environment for them without making them be be dumb in like film or feel insecure about who they are. Um, and I think that's the problem with Michael being in there since he was six years old is that he never got to really figure it out. And if he had access to books and I'm imagining he did, and like, obviously we're not going to ever see this in the movies. I imagine it's a lot of like educational stuff and probably something that took interest for him was the human body because he has one and that's something he can relate to. And that's why I think like the killing continued to like build up there and why he became so fascinated with becoming more violent in these movies, because what else is he going to do? They don't really give him any sort of other enrichment in these places. And I think that's what John Carpenter was trying to show. Granted, I think he could have handled it better of saying like, this is the problem rather than just making it seem like all people in any sort of mental illness state is like this. And I think that's my big problem is that not everyone that has a mental illness is this person that can't fathom like what's going on in reality. They're not, they're not incapable, but they need resources. And I think that he could have handled that better. It didn't need to go to that extreme at all in any regard. And even more like, like you see these kids in the high school and I didn't really relate to them much either, but you could see the, insensitivities they had to towards even each other and you could just see that it was like this whole society was like well like Lori she's just crazy she's not valid for feeling what she's feeling and I think it just goes to show that we don't value mental illness enough in our society and as a society we should move to do that and I think that's why they put that scene that they put in there that the way they did is to kind of force us as an audience to wake up. I don't like that it happened. It made me really uncomfortable, but it was there. And it is something I've heard about and I've heard stories about in places I've worked and it's it's heartbreaking. I don't know if it's the right decision to necessarily put that in filmmaking, especially if they're not creating a actual like story about like what mental illness can look like for a variety of people. The people they are talking about are far and few in between. And even then, like, they're not, they're not stupid. They're not, they're not incapable. They're not like how this cartoonish sort of thing that John Carpenter keeps gravitating towards too. And I think he needs to stop doing that and accept responsibility that he is perpetrating this sort of image onto them. And are you talking about just really quickly, were you talking about with the scene, are you talking about the scene where they're all in the squares? Uh, I was talking about the scenes, the square scenes in the beginning, but then also in that hospital when the mob mentality thing started happening too. It was just like, they want to see, they want to villainize mental illness. And I don't think that's right either. Okay. So I'm going to come back to Sasha. She just step away for just a second here. Uh, So I'll get into my, my thoughts. Okay. So I love this franchise. Love these movies. I hate the way they they treat mental illness in in horror in general. This is a, a big issue I have in general in horror movies is it's very easy to paint a villain as someone with a mental illness. I 
And as someone who has a mental illness and who has been, you know, hospitalized herself, I'm not saying that hospitals are amazing and brilliant and wonderful places and that there aren't issues galore with them because there are issues galore with them. My issue with like in the 2018 one where they're all in the the squares and they all start making the noises to portray that they're all kind of crazy and they're all going crazy together is very harmful. And that's a stereotype that should die down by now. And that's my issue with it. I know my sister also on that part was like, that is really horrible and that's awful. And they should not be showing this. And while I know that where Michael was is a totally different place than any place I've ever been. I know that that is more of a place where criminals, for people who have, you know, done things that are, that are horrendous and horrific. I understand that. But at the same time, it's almost like they're saying every single person, it, it, if you're not showing a balance to that, and I understand they show PTSD, but they still are not showing a balance to that of people with a mental illness that are not like that. So it's really, to me, very harmful. So I do think David Gordon Green and company really did a bad job with that, frankly. Uh, you also have that, of course, in the first one when everybody has escaped the institution and they're all out there kind of walking around like crazy zombies is the best way to put it. And that to me is kind of harmful in a way too. Okay, so before I get into the mob scene, because I, I have lots of thoughts on that for for various reasons i so i'm going to go back to sasha sasha has returned so sasha what are your thoughts on how they handle mental illness in this movie so i just i want to go back to the first to you know there's one scene where the nurse and dr loomis are driving up and they're talking about like what they're going to give him before he goes to court and they're like oh you're going to give him a shot of thorazine she's like well that's going to make him like a zombie he's like that's the point like that's the whole point and in the 70s and the 80s, like once we started deinstitutionalizing and getting rid of the quote unquote insane asylums and sanatoriums and stuff, all of those people, it was pure med compliance. They were shoving them full of Thorazine and other horrible, horrible meds that made them zombies because it was easier to control them if they're non combative. Um, so that is as gross and toxic as it is it's reflective of the time and how they treated them, which I think is important because we need to know that that's where it came from and how gross and bad that is because we need to never treat people like that again, ever. In the new Halloween Kills, and I'm going to let Erin talk about the, the scene in the hospital because she's got lots of feels on that. But the only thing I want to point out about that is the guy is very clearly wearing scrubs and it says Smith's Grove which was the old asylum, but now in bigger letters. So all you see, you really have to look to see the Smith's Grove. In bigger letters, it says inmate. And for me, that's a problem because that's making it justifiable what they do. Like, oh, he's just a criminal. He deserves what he's going to get. Oh, he's a criminal. Like it's minimizing his value as a human because they put inmate across it bigger than anything else and so it's like they don't even acknowledge like this i don't want to sound condescending or anything like that but i think the average person watching this is going to see inmate and they may for a split second recognize that there's some cognitive delays with him there's something else going on you know but anybody who has 
any training in any mental health or who has a mental illness and can recognize the signs is going to recognize that this guy is, he's got some major issues, but the average person is just going to read inmate and see him running around and go, okay, he's an inmate. So for me, that was the biggest in Halloween kills for the mental health. Like that was the biggest disservice they possibly could have done um, beyond what happens in the mob scene, which I will let Aaron discuss. <laughs> So, yeah, so the, the mob scene, you know, since we're spoiling this, there is a scene in the hospital, you know, all these people have gathered, the town has gathered and said, evil dies tonight, which should was said about 100,000 times too many, I have to say, <laughs> they needed to cut that out. Uh, but you have this mob mentality of everybody's like, we're going to murder Michael, we're going to get Michael. And you have one of the other patients from Smith's Grove is there coming to the hospital because it, this was the same patient in the beginning that actually was in the car of the couple that were dressed as the doctor and nurse. I can't remember their name right now. That was in the car and he wrecked the car. So he's got a gash on his forehead and he's going there to get help. He's also going there because he's scared. You can see he's terrified and when people see him, because of the fact that he's wearing that Smith Grove, Smith's Grove hospital gown, because of the fact that Lori and a couple other people say, is that Michael? It spreads like wildfire that this is Michael. And so the mob turns. And even though people start saying, like Lori and especially Karen, start saying, that's not Michael. That's not Michael. The mob as can't hear anything else because they want to kill this thing that has terrorized their town is the way they're viewing it. And this patient represents that so they're basically following this patient through the hospital up to the top of into this room and then karen goes there and shows some compassion and says she's not going to let anything happen to him and then the mob goes up there ends up breaking the door down and you watch as this patient is watching as people are breaking down the door and he is scared out of his mind and so he goes and jumps and kills himself but it wasn't a matter of, it was more like, I'm scared. I've got to get out of here. So this is the only way I can escape is by jumping because they're going to get me. So here's the thing is, is I think actually they're trying to say something interesting here of the way we treat people and mob mentality and how that can lead to not going after the people we are supposed to be going after and not, not attacking the correct quote unquote correct people. So I think that was an interesting thing to say. I do think there is some reality to this scene in the fact that people want to look for someone to blame and they'll go after anyone. I mean, you see it with the QAnon people. You see it with a lot of that. So there is mom mentality in, in this society right now. And so I think it was an interesting thing they were trying to say. The reason this was hard, so hard for me to watch is because of the fact that this was someone with a mental illness and the way society still treats people with mental illness is shitty and crappy because people think of people with mental illness as being uh, beneath regular human beings is the best way I can put it and not being, uh, not being afforded an opportunity to be a regular quote unquote regular human being or a normal human being or someone who deserves the same amount of respect or the same amount of time or to be talked to like a human being and treated like a human being and watching as this mob descends on this, this 
human being who is totally defenseless, has nothing, is just in a gown, has no weapon whatsoever, is a very tiny man. He's very tiny, not at all the same height as Michael comparatively, not, you can see not the same amount of strength. And this is a character that got completely and totally wrapped up in what was going on and I mean, in the escape and didn't understand. And I don't even necessarily even know if this person wanted to escape. To me, they're trying to find help. They go to this hospital to get help because they have a gash on their head. They're going to this hospital to get help because they're scared. And I think even in the car, when they were in the back of the car, they were more hiding out. They didn't know what was going on. And they're scared and have been treated probably like crap forever and don't know what to do. And then they have this mob descending upon them and yes karen is trying to help but she can't help stop this whole mob from descending upon him and so watching as basically it's like a mouse being attacked by lions and watching as the only the only option he feels he has and really, I mean, he would have been, he would have died either way. I mean, this mob would have murdered him <laughs> if he hadn't jumped out that window. But the only option he had was in his mind was to jump out that window and watching that scene where he's standing on the ledge and not a single fucking person tries to say anything. Not a single fucking person goes in there and tries to, not even Karen, and Karen was being very compassionate, but not a single fucking person says, don't do anything, don't move, stay right there. Not a single fucking person seems to even want to even try to get any help, except for Karen. It just, it was just very hard to watch because it was, to me, it was very realistic, honestly. I thought it was very realistic in the way we treat people with mental illness to a heightened degree. I think, you know, the fear, when you have a mental illness, the fear you always constantly have is how people are going to treat you when they find out you have a mental illness. And this is that fear upped by a thousand, thousand percent. But this is the thing is that even though I have issues with this scene in certain ways they treat mental illness, I actually, in a way, appreciate certain aspects of this scene, if people can grasp from this, that <laughs> people with mental illnesses are much more apt to be the victims of violence than the perpetrators of violence. And this man was very clearly a victim of violence. He was not a perpetrator in this situation. I don't know the history of this patient, but he was not a perpetrator of any violence whatsoever. He didn't try to even attack Karen. He did. I mean, yes, he picks up like the um, fire extinguisher, but I don't even think he, he was, was mainly to try and get out. It wasn't to try and attack. It was to try and get out and get freed. So I do appreciate that, but I don't know if the audience got that unless they already know and are directly affected by mental illness or have worked with people with mental illness or already have that capacity. I don't know if the audience completely got that. And that's the one thing that bothers me about it. And I agree. I think maybe if it hadn't said inmate so clearly there, if maybe we'd, I, I don't even know how they could have maybe fixed that, but I think you do get across the mob mentality thing, but I think it just wasn't handled as well as it should have. But it is true that if you do have a mental illness, you do have that fear of how society is going to treat you because it's true. People will not talk to you. People will 
not want to have you go to things or they blame every single thing you do has to be part of your mental illness. Uh, it's always like that. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Don't trigger, uh, or why are you doing this? You're going to trigger yourself, that kind of stuff. So that part is, 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 this is a heightened of that. But when you have a mental illness, you do always have that worry. I know when I finally got the correct diagnosis at 30, so I was diagnosed very late in life. It was such a mixture of emotions because it's a relief to know that there is a reason and I'm not crazy because I'm not crazy as far as like, I'm not making this up. There's a reason this stuff keeps happening to me. But at the same time, then the other thought in my head was my whole life, I'm going to have to decide if I tell people this, my whole life, that's going to be something that I might have to keep secret that my whole life, this is going to be a judgment on me is this because it's not like having to wear glasses. It's not like having a physical ill. It's a physical illness, but it's not the same. It's not treated the same. So anyway, to me, it was very painful to watch because as someone with a mental illness, my fear is always, I'm sorry. <laughs> my fear is always having my control and my life taken from me in some instance, in some way because of having a mental illness. And I've had my own will and and my own, um, uh, what is that word? My own sense of self-preservation, my own, my own, my own sense of, uh, uh, what is the word I'm trying to think of? Oh my gosh. Like volition. Yes. Thank you. Like my own, uh, way of like, you know, having control. Like I've had my control taken away a lot and that's why I have such a sense of always wanting to be in control. And that's where some of my perfectionism goes into, because I've had it taken away when I was a teenager and then uh, recently as well, because if you don't know, when you are put in a hospital as protection, you aren't necessarily treated very well. So I want to say that you are treated like complete and total trash. So I want to say that, that people are maybe trying to help you, but you're treated like you're a criminal and I'm talking about in any situation so you're treated like a criminal when you are wanting to die. So it's a very weird, weird thing we have. And so for me, this was just a very personal, very hard thing to watch. And watching it in the theater, it was, I, it was made me very, very uncomfortable. So I just wanted to make sure to talk about that a little bit because that was one of the most disturbing things I have ever seen, period. Okay. Uh, so I know, Sasha, you had something else you wanted to add there? So I just wanted to jump in with a couple of my hyper-focused of plot holes and ludicrousness the scene where he kills all the firefighters and they all just stand there one at a time while he kills one and waits for them to for him to come to them like that would never happen these are trained professionals with giant weapons like somebody would intervene somebody would be radioing for help they're not going to get discovered an hour two hours later on accident like nobody's going to stumble upon this that made me insane um these super obnoxious bratty kids with the masks at the park and like going up and trick-or-treating at Big John and Little John. Like, really? I They needed to die and they didn't? Of all the people you're going to kill, you left those ones alone? No. What is wrong with you? And then the mob scene when they tracked down Michael gave me very strong Richard Ramirez vibes. So those of you that don't know Richard Ramirez, he was a serial killer in California. He got caught basically by a vigilante mob um, they had seen his face on newspapers in a, I think it was a predominantly Hispanic it was like mm -hmm. neighborhood. Yeah. Anyways, they caught him. They hunted him down and they 
beat him within an inch of his life. Like he was happy to be arrested because the cops actually saved his life. And so that whole scene where they attack him gave me very strong Richard Ramirez vibes because it was like, oh, we've got this mob. But I do agree with Aaron about the the scene in the hospital is catastrophic for mental illness. Like it's just, it's horrible and terrible. Um, but the whole mob mentality, just in general, either way, like even with when they hunted down Michael and when they were chasing the inmate, it's, it's a toxic think, right? You just, people get swept up in the moment and normal, I'm using air quotes for those of you that can't see me, normal average citizens get wrapped up into this and do things they would never do on a Tuesday night. All of a sudden they're out there with the pitchforks and the torches and they're hunting them down. Um, so the mob mentality and the fear of the other, um, yeah. because that's really what all of it is. It's the fear of the other is just, oh. Uh, yeah, totally, totally agree. So we're gonna go ahead. Sorry, did you have something you wanted to add, Megan? I want to add one thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just one. Because um, I know you set, mentioned Karen earlier. And I think because Karen was disassociating so severely as she was in that moment, I don't think she, I think she, as a mother, felt the need to protect this man. But she was also worried about her daughter. And her mother was going to the deep end. And like, I don't think she had enough emotional capacity to give anymore at that point. And I thought that was interesting. And I think that's what I found most compelling about this scene. And I think that's why even with this whole Halloween franchise as a whole, you see the helplessness and the hopelessness. And mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's what this film is. And I think that's why people were set up for the worst in this film, because the the um, marketing was never set up that way. And it should have been. Mm -hmm. But people probably wouldn't have gone because people don't like to feel bad. So I think in that way, this film, yes, it's about Michael, but it's also about the hopelessness that is felt in the community, especially when it does come to mental illness. And you covered that beautifully, Erin, on what that feels like. And I do appreciate listening to that. And thank you for sharing. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and I, I want to say again, I do think I do. I did like Karen overall in that scene. I want to say I did. I mean, I was hoping somebody would have stepped but she was really great in that scene and she was really caring and sweet and I really like the character of Karen and I was really sad that she was looks like she was murdered and I don't like that I do want to say that got that made me really upset but anyway okay so we're gonna go ahead and close out and again I'm really sorry that we lost Susie we love you Susie but I'm glad we got to know the hot cocoa thing for Michael though that was very important to get that too so we're gonna go ahead and close out and I'm assuming Megan is staying anonymous. Yes. Okay. So Sasha, <laughs> where can they find you? Yep. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at vegan geek chick. And one thing we didn't mention, can we talk about the fact that Michael is in his sixties and should be receiving Medicare benefits at this point? <laughs> I feel the same way. This man I'm is just, true. That's why he's really mad. That is. He's <laughs> angry really because mad. his Medicare benefits suck and he's getting screwed. <laughs> he didn't get the nice plan D United Healthcare where everything's covered. He's just angry. <laughs> Maybe like angry, obviously not arthritis. I don't know. There's something else going on. I just want to throw that out there. But yes, vegan geek chick. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. That's funny. Um, yeah, and, and I'll just throw it as somebody who has a podcast now. 
you would never record a podcast the way these people recorded a podcast. That's ridiculous. You would have your audio would be such trash. You would be screwed. So I just want to say that that their editing would have been a nightmare or whoever edited it for them would have been. And you also as a podcaster, you don't have all that spare money lying around where you can bribe someone to go in there. I'd be like, I have five bucks. <laughs> I have some hot cocoa. <laughs> I have a Target gift card. Yeah, it would never, trust me, that doesn't work that way. So I just want to throw that out there too. I know a lot of podcasters at the time also mentioned that, but I just want to mention that really quickly because I forgot to say that. Uh, but this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at eAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. On TikTok. At It's a Fandom Thing Pod. We're over there. <laughs> Find us. Tell me and the other Aaron how to use TikTok. We much appreciated. And since this is dropping Wednesday, if you're listening to this Wednesday during the day, tonight we have night nine of our horror trivia event, Queer Horror. That one should be a lot of fun. We're going to have Susie. We're going to have Meg. And we're going to have Roman and Tyler back. So that'll be fun. Pre prepare yourself because it might be a long one. <laughs> it will be not since it is a weeknight. But we'll see. But that one starts at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So 6 Pacific, 8 Central, 9 Eastern. And on our next episode, we are going to be wrapping up Slashers with a discussion about Friday the 13th. We already recorded this one. I think it's really good. It's Megan and Susie. And Susie gave me a whole new appreciation for Jason because this is my least favorite of the ones we're covering. So I thought it was a really fun recording. So that will be very interesting. And keep an eye out in a little bit. We're going to start our live tweets for Dexter and then hopefully live streams. I've got to find other people that want to be on those. But that should be a lot of fun. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and stop Asian hate. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.